1: What the hell just happened? What the hell just happened? I don't know, but we're going to go over it here today on the Steelers Outpost podcast. But first, a quick word from our sponsors at MyBookie. Because as a true football fan, you already know that the Browns are going to brown and find a way to lose even a victory. Every weekend, our favorite gridiron warriors put their skills to the test, so why aren't you doing the same? We are more than halfway through the NFL season, so now is the time to get off the sidelines and get into the game with my bookie. You can do parlays, you can do prop bets on will Miles Garrett ever go a full psychopath full American psycho on another player on a football field Uh, will Miles Garrett uh, ever be convicted of a heinous crime against somebody for trying to bash them over the head with an NFL football helmet you can probably bet on that. I'm sure my bookie's got all kinds of bets. All right, if you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, you can try those parlays. Pick your locks for the week, put them together in one parlay bet, and when they all come through, the rewards will be huge. Are you tired of watching the game from the couch and not getting in on the action? I guess it depends on the status of any melee's or brawls that are happening, but either way, you can get involved with my bookie. And the best part is, if you join right now, my bookie will double your first deposit. That's right. If you put in a grand, they'll give you a grand. That's doubling your initial deposit you can use on all your favorite picks. If you use the promo code CHAIR to activate the offer, C-H-A-I-R, and that helps us out too. Thank you very much. Visit mybookie.ag online today. You play, you win, you get paid. It is November 15th. Welcome to... Steelers Outpost Podcast, episode 119. We are a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans podcast network, and we uh, have an incident to go over. I think from this day forth, we can refer to Miles Garrett's uh Brain, actually, I, I don't know, I, it had to be an aneurysm or something. Uh, we can refer to this incident in which he attacked Steelers quarterback Mason Rudolph with his own helmet, which he ripped off of Mason Rudolph's head and then basically tomahawk swung it into Mason Rudolph's unprotected skull. We should refer to this as the incident. There was a prior incident. That was referred to uh, as the proper form of the incident. And that was actually the night when the Steelers beat the Jets in the AFC Championship game. And we're going to proceed to the Super Bowl to play, unfortunately, God's gift of football, Aaron Rodgers. But I was watching the game with my buddy who was a Bears fan, and we were both cheering pretty Pretty intensely for the Chicago Bears to win their game against the Packers after the Steelers. Well, it might have been before the Steelers actually, and because. Uh Aaron Rodgers was on such a tear at that point, I knew that terror only awaited us if we were going to play Rodgers in the Super Bowl, and somehow the Bears were maybe going to pull off an upset against their division foe, and at that point, the Steelers would have won the Super Bowl by 78 points because the Bears would not have been able to hang. Alas, the Bears didn't hang on, but the Steelers did win, and uh, we celebrated that, and my buddy, Jack, he drowned his misery as a Bears fan, and uh, the rest of the events that evening... Uh, Are no longer referred to They are only mentioned As the incident But I think we have a new incident Because I have never Ever seen anything like this Happen on an NFL field So uh, I don't even know How to organize my thoughts Here necessarily There's so many things To think about Between describing What actually happened Describing how people Are reacting to it Wondering how the NFL is going to react to it, especially when it comes to suspensions, especially during this time when they're so sensitive to their public perception after getting, you know, taking a ton of PR hits with the concussion issues, CTE issues, domestic violence issues, and taking more heat for their inability to consistently punish people or or really show any sort of rhyme or reason towards how they issue out suspensions. There's a ton of things to talk about. So what I think I want to do right now is I'm just going to give a little walkthrough of the events and sort of talk about what happened step by step. So first off, obviously, uh, and by the way, I'll, I'll talk about the the actual game after, but at, This point in the game, the game was long over. It was a terrible game, nearly unwatchable. Steelers tried to give it to the Browns every time they possibly could. Offense couldn't do a single damn thing the whole night. They were greatly hampered by injuries to pretty much everyone who catches the ball or makes plays with Juju, with Deontay Johnson, James Conner, all going out with injuries. And so, of course, the Browns didn't want to take the victory, missing two chip shot field goals and so on and so forth. But by this point, Mason Rudolph had already thrown his fourth interception. There's about 38 seconds left in the game or something like that. And the Steelers throw a screen pass, basically just kind of getting towards the end of the game here. And Miles Garrett, and and this is the first point to look at, Miles Garrett hits Mason Rudolph late. I mean, it's blatant. Maybe, maybe he actually hits him uh, at a fair time, like right after Mason Rudolph released the ball, and, and that could be fine. But the fact is, he he bear hugged him and wouldn't let him go, and drove him all the way to the ground. And this isn't these aren't black and gold colored glasses or anything. You can just look at it, and and the ball was long out of Rudolph's hands. I guess, you know, Browns fans might make the argument, oh, he doesn't know it's out of his hands. He knows, man. And even if he doesn't in any other game, that's just a routine roughing the passer call. And he, one of the strongest men on the planet, that's going to come into, uh, that's going to come in handy later with this story. He is bear-hugging Mason Rudolph and drives him all the way to the ground. Okay, this happens in football. He's psyched that the Browns are finally beating the Steelers. And uh, there's emotions running high. He shouldn't have done that. But that's when Mason Rudolph looks like he almost attempts to pry off Miles Garrett's helmet. And this is where a lot of people, um, you know, I I hope it's just a small vocal minority, but it is enough people to make a dent, at least in the social conversation. People are trying to say that Mason Rudolph started the fight. He didn't start the fight, man he It was weird when he tried to pry the helmet off of of, of miles Garrett, and I'm not totally opposed to I wouldn't be like horrified if the NFL issued a suspension to him as well because you retaliate, but at a certain point, you have to do something because my question to the people who are insinuating that Mason Rudolph started this is honestly, what do you expect him to do when the guy's bear hugging you and taking you to the ground and then when they're on the ground he wouldn't let him go so I know I'm preaching to the choir here it's Steelers fans listening to this podcast but maybe if you're talking about it with somebody that's the question I want to ask what is the appropriate reaction for Rudolph I mean should he just try and push him off at the shoulders and not grab his head I think maybe that's probably the best thing you could have done but honestly he's not just gonna sit there like a rag doll and just let Miles Garrett lay on top of him and wrap him up like a god dang bolo constrictor nice now that that's what they do right but okay so that's the first thing that's where I'm saying the Mason starting it that's even. Debatable to me, and I, honestly, it's not even debatable. Just look at it. It's a late hit, he wouldn't get off him. What do you expect Rudolph to do? He shouldn't have grabbed his head. That's what I think. Okay, so next, that's when Garrett has a full and total mental breakdown and loses all control of his facilities and adult brain, and he f- pulls Mason Rudolph up, tries to pull him off the ground by the face mask. So this is the first incident where if he just twisted a little bit more to one side or the other and the face mask didn't come off, you could have snapped the guy's neck. This is Miles Garrett we're talking about. This is one of the probably the five biggest freaks to ever enter the NFL draft. He's in the .0001 of the human population. That helmet didn't come off of Mason. He already could have paralyzed the guy or worse. But the helmet does come off and Mason gets up and David DeCastro gets in between them. I think Filer was around there. And for whatever reason. Now that Garrett has the helmet in his hands, Mason Rudolph comes after him. Get the helmet back. He's pissed. I What is happening in Garrett's brain? He swings the helmet over his head and connects pretty perfectly with Mason Rudolph's skull. From one angle, I think some people thought, oh, they grazed him or, wow, it would have been worse if he hit him harder. And then another angle came out where you see, oh, no, he connected fully with this skull. Luckily, Mason Rudolph, he gets made fun of for his big head. It came in handy there because the skull took the, took the pounding. I'm sure he's hurting today. But I don't, I mean, we're talking a Steelers podcast here, but hopefully you guys have the, uh, you know, you're going to have conversations with other people about this. And these facts can help. We all know the obvious part, right? Miles Garrett, if he hits him in the temple, if he hits Mason Rudolph in the temple, he could legitimately die. And this isn't like a, a case of when your mom you know, is worried about you in high school and, and you guys are doing whatever you're doing. Girls are doing whatever you're doing. And she says, you could die. You're being in danger. You know, they're being a protective mother. No, no, no. Miles Garrett is one of the strongest people on the earth. He's an absolute physical freak. He's, he's a millionaire because of that fact. If he connects with the guy's temple, people have died from a lot less. And if he connects with the temple, like the best case scenario is probably brain damage. But this guy almost murdered someone on a football field. And that's not hyperbole. That's not being a Steelers fan. That's what happened. I mean, we've seen, you know, people get way hurt, way more hurt with way less I mean, we saw what happened to Ryan Shazier. It's terrible. This, this guy, this is insanity. So this is sort of where the argument ends, and I think this is where the general population admits that all bets are off in terms of what kind of nuance you want to get into this, because players get into altercations. Nobody ever has taken the helmet off and bashed the other guy over the head with it. If you punch a guy in the face, you're not going to kill a guy. It's not like, okay, sure, it's happened once in a you know in a boxing ring or something like that, but you're not going to kill the guy. This is, as everybody's saying, prosecutable on the street. This is assault with a weapon. And if Mason Rudolph had gotten knocked unconscious by that, I'm pretty sure he would have gotten prosecuted. Now, he might get out of actual legal trouble outside of the NFL because Mason Rudolph didn't fall down and just so much of this stuff is optics, but... This is insanity. And to me, Miles Garrett at this point, this is a guy where if you can't, if that's your reaction when you get angry, where you literally can't control yourself, because I think even he would admit, oh, that was pretty stupid, right? He did say that that was stupid after the game, but he didn't apologize to, to Rudolph. And he basically only said it was stupid from the angle of he's going to get suspended on her team, not because, oh, you're a legitimate psychopath criminal who is a danger of the people around you. If that's how you react, you're a danger on the football field. You can't be, like you're getting paid to be out there with these guys and you could end someone's livelihood. The dude almost ended someone's life. And we said the same thing about Perfect, not ending someone's life, but he was trying to intentionally injure people. You know, he had plenty of big hits on the on the Steelers, you know, the killer bees, but the, the the biggest ones for perfect for me were was the twisting of Cam Newton's leg and the thing with Greg Olson. The like this guy is a liability. And so obviously the NFL needs to take a hard stance on this, and I'd be shocked if he got anything less than a suspension that lasted for the rest of the season. The only bummer is the season only has like you know six games left or whatever it is, six games left, and even that doesn't seem long enough to me. I mean, hopefully they would they'd put a, uh, a ban on the playoffs as well, of course. But uh, Browns won't be going there, so that won't be too much of a problem. Back to people trying to make this about uh, Mason Rudolph started it. I, most people with sanity realize that let's say mason rudolph did start it which again i assert he he really didn't i mean did he escalate it yeah with grabbing the head instead of the shoulders or something but miles garrett started this with the late hit and not letting go of him and that's just objective you can watch the tape you can watch the video it's all over the internet miles garrett started it with the late hit you should if you want to say uh, rudolph escalated it okay but i think we all agree that uh yeah, your retaliation, you had legitimately an infinite number of options. If you're Miles Garrett to retaliate to Mason Rudolph, you picked the worst one. So all bets are off when you try to murder a guy with his own helmet because that's what he tried to do, whether he blacked out with rage and and, and didn't mean to his, oh, I don't want to actually murder him. I just want to hurt him as much. Well, he blacked out and turned into a complete psychopath. And... So all bets are off with that, okay? So so stop with that argument. And I'm trying to be objective about this because I, like, couldn't sleep last night after this, man. And, and not just because, like, oh, you see this, this violent thing happening. Well, luckily, uh, you know, Rudolph was okay. So it's not even that part of it that really b- bothered me. Obviously, it did bother me tremendously seeing what happened. But it's the reaction of that. Small but vocal minority whose instant reaction, as you know, with a lot of these Browns fans is to try and defend this or to try and point at James Harrison's hit on Colt McCoy 10 years ago or whatever it was. And that's the part that depresses me because if this were a Steelers player who did this, if this were Cam Hayward doing it to Baker Mayfield, then I wouldn't have any problem just saying, oh my God, what did Cam Hayward do? As much as I love Cam Hayward. Now, Cam Hayward would never do that, but that's another story. So, like, you can be a fan of football, and you can be an irrational, overly passionate fan of football. It's kind of the beauty of the game. It's a lot of fun. That's why it's sort of this release. It's sort of this getaway. It's a lot of adrenaline involved. That's why it's a lot of fun, but you have to know where to draw the line. And that's just, and it depresses me. It makes me feel like when you, when you read a bunch of negative news on the internet or whether it's like political-based or, or whatever it happens to be, whatever unfairness is going on, where you just get that feeling of being overwhelmed and just depressed about people being crappy. And I'm not saying that I think people are, are crappy in general or anything like that, but that's the feeling it gets where it's like, wow, this is such a softball <laughs> for you to t- like on the st- in terms of the stance to take that this is such an obvious case of right and wrong the fact that you let your browns fandom overcome that that's embarrassing and i don't know why you couldn't see the difference with that and trying to equate it with james harris like that is pathetic come on that's like was nobody's saying what james harrison did to colt mccoy hitting him too hard in the head was right but that's also like saying like "Hey, hey there's a guy who punched a guy in the face in a bar fight and then there's a guy who slit the guy's throat yeah they're both crimes they're not the same crime and it's very obvious the severity of each one so that's just a bummer and i know browns fans are frustrated they're very loyal to their team i've uh Always said I've always thought that they were the best fans in the NFL because they brought their team back into the city after the team left um, via uh, a via grassroots movement. And they've suffered through uh, an organization that can't put together a good franchise. But now my opinion has definitely changed on that. And, and not entirely because, again, it's a small vocal minority. I'm sure most Browns fans see the obvious nature of the situation. But it's just a bummer seeing people do that. Or there was a former NFL player on on Twitter who said something really boneheaded just about, um, "Hey, newsflash for anybody who's new to watching NFL football." So already condescending in the first sentence, and uh, say and showed the video of Andre Johnson taking off Cortland Sutton's helmet and punching him in the face, and saying, "Hey." Players, they get angry and this kind of stuff happens. And of course he got pretty roasted by it in the comments and he responded by saying, Hey, I'm not trying to equate throwing a fist towards using a helmet. I'm just trying to say that players get passionate and totally cold towards their fellow man and fellow players. in some of these moments of passion, it's not new to the NFL. And I res- responded, usually I try not to respond to these type of things, but this was just so glaring. It's such a big topic of conversation. I responded, that's, that's exactly what you did. You literally just compared the fist throwing to the helmet hitting. So like, don't overthink this. You posted a video saying, oh, you thought that was bad. Well, look at this. Like, yeah, we, we knew that other one was bad, buddy. That, that's what comparing is. I don't think you know what the word comparing means. That could be the first problem, so maybe it's not his fault. But yeah, anyways, just a bummer. Hate to see it. And... Uh, then, of course, Marquise Pouncey, you know, he's got some attention because he came in and started wailing on Miles Garrett and kicked him in the head and punched him. And I think pretty much everyone has agreed that he was in the right. And if he gets suspended, even Pouncey himself said, hey, it's worth it because this went beyond football. Like, this was protection. This, this guy could have gotten killed, Mason Rudolph. And with Miles Garrett, you know, you got to make sure he stays down. Because that guy's not going to get up and say, oh, I'm sorry. What do you think he's going to do, right? At that point, all bets are off. you got to protect your quarterback. you got to protect your teammates. And this guy, you know, he's got to be restrained, apparently, because Miles Garrett can't control himself. Apparently, football isn't a violent enough outlet for him already, where he needs to find extra violence within this. So... Total nightmare. If Pouncey gets suspended, so be it. I think pretty much everyone has unilaterally agreed that what he did was what he had to do. And luckily, David DeCastro laid on top of Miles Garrett, somehow keeping him down on the ground and and, uh, diffused it a little bit more from that angle without escalating it. But these, you know you got to love when your linemen protect the quarterback. Reminds you of when Ben slid against the Carolina Panthers and Eric Reed had a nasty late hit on him and Pouncey and DeCastro and everybody immediately ran to his aid. Those guys will get your back. I mean, the Steelers' offensive line is the lifeblood of this team, of course. They're really the leaders. And if he gets suspended, then fine. That really sucks. That's also bad news for the Steelers on the field. Um, Maybe more on that later. But it was worth it. You have to do it. Absolutely have to do it. And, uh, yeah, that's that. So, moving on, what's the NFL going to do about this? Everything the NFL does is about perception. They're very sensitive towards their public perception, which has gotten raked through through the mud in the past few years. You know, with the Colin Kaepernick situation, whatever side you... Well, never mind. With the Colin Kaepernick situation, with the concussions the cte the domestic violence stuff and uh you know people not wanting their kids to play football and this and that this is pretty much the worst case thing that you could have by the way the fact that it was on the only game on televised that night that makes it even worse the visibility is much higher so i my guess is that they'll give him a full you know the rest of the season and uh, maybe an indefinite uh, suspension so that you can't play in the playoffs. But like I said, the Browns are not making the playoffs. I mean, they, could, they didn't even want to win that game yesterday. That was very clear. But how do you – the question is how do you decide how much to truly suspend him for? Because I, I don't think it's outside the lines to say she should be suspended for a couple games next year, too. This is the worst thing we've ever seen, really, on a football field, done intentionally by somebody. There isn't a worse one. There's Haynesworth, and then there's the guy who hit Richie on Incognito with the helmet. This one was a full tomahawk chop under the unhelmeted skull of a player. So how do you decide? It's tough because the NFL will give two games to Ray Rice for domestic violence. Okay, the, the, the video came out. We'll give him eight or, or the 16 or whatever it was. And then we'll suspend Tom Brady four games for deflating footballs without even proving that he did it. They had evidence, but they never totally proved it. And I'm not a Tom Brady fan. Think we all know that, but even I got to say, again, it's like, wait, what are you, what are you doing? And then they, you know, so the suspensions. I mean, if you think, yeah, he should have been suspended, but like, what determines four games versus eight games versus six games? For here's domestic violence. Here's stealing a team's signs. Here's bashing a guy over the head with his own helmet. I don't really know. The first thing I thought of, and my dad and I were talking about this morning. uh, He wasn't able to be on the podcast today because he's uh, got real man things to do. He's got responsibilities. We needed to get this thing out as quick as we could. But the thing we thought about is maybe they can issue like a tier system of fines. The way that I would look at it in my head is maybe you have like four tiers of of suspensions. It's like tier one is uh, the smallest suspensions for the smallest actions. And then tier four, obviously, is from the more heinous actions. And I think you just have to be okay with the fact that each act doesn't get a super specific punishment. Rather, it's sort of like, if you cross this line, this is how much you get, regardless of the distinction between the two. So for instance, I'd put Vontae's perfect twisting Cam Newton's ankle as a tier four, the highest type of offense, where you're trying visibly to intentionally injure a player and affect their livelihood and i and i put that with You know, what Miles Garrett did to Mason Rudolph. And even if you look at those two, there's incomparable. Of course, what Miles Garrett did was way worse. He could have literally murdered Mason Rudolph. And worst case scenario for Cam, he'd have a, a broken ankle or whatever it is. But that's where you just have to be like, yeah, that's fine. It's a zero tolerance kind of thing. You're both getting a full season. That's what it is. I know. So, to avoid all the backlash about the suspensions and just the inability to properly decide how long people should be suspended, it should just be like, hey, listen, if you cross this line, that's what it is. You know, maybe a tier three is like Avante's perfect targeting Antonio Brown over the middle or something, because at least that's a bang bang play. At least that's within the context of football rather than like a tier four, which is, hey, you've gone out of your way to do this or or whatever it may be. So that's the only thing I can think of, but we'll see what they do in terms of the suspension that is inevitably going to happen. So we might as well get into the actual football that occurred on the field, which is kind of unfortunate. So maybe to delay the inevitable a little bit here, I could tell you some good news. You're never going to nick your balls again when you're trying to shave them. Gentlemen or ladies, Manscaped. Let me tell you about a product that we all wish came along when we were 16 years old and just first getting, uh, you know, getting a hangover. The necessary art, I say, of manscaping. You do not want to compromise the jewels. I don't think I need to say that, but more or less, this copy tells me that I have to say that. But you all know it. I'm just going to bring it up to the forefront. Can't happen. Luckily, manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. They got all kinds of tools that make it like physically impossible to do any damage there. And it just makes the grooming in general more easy. It's easier. And the best part is They'll give you 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. They got deodorants. They got moisturizers. Of course, the trimmers are kind of the coup de gras, if you will, but they really have anything that you can need, and with 20% off, that's a pretty dope discount as long as you use that code armchair. It's really a no-brainer. It's one of those things that you might think of as like, hey, this is a luxury. I don't need this. I've been getting by with what I've been using. Fine, for many years, and there's no reason to believe that it'll go wrong now. Well, once you get it, you're going to change your mind and say, oh, yep, just wish I had this from the beginning, and I'm glad I have this going forward. So use that code armchair in order to get 20% off. And while you're at it, let's get down to brass tacks. Blue chew. Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? I know I sure do. Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in the bed. Or in the car or really wherever you want. It's not up to me because Blue Chew says it's up to you, baby. So listen up. That's bluechew.com. That's blue like the color blue. They bring you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And it, So it's better than Sex Panther Biodeon, which works 60% of the time, every time. Which makes plenty of sense Anyways, you can take them daytime or nighttime On a full stomach, anything Since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill So you can be ready whenever opportunity arises And uh, if you could benefit from Extra function and more confidence where it counts. Never hurts to have more confidence. You really can't have enough. Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. It's prescribed online and it ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So you really don't have to worry about any awkwardness. And sorry about my reading there. I sort of go on and off when it comes to the script. And clearly my education didn't completely take. But the bottom line is that stuff is, is a pain. And now it's not because you don't have to worry about any of that awkwardness or weirdness because Blue Chew has got you covered. So make sure you use that special promo code ARMCHAIR discount on your first shipment, a.k.a. it's free 99. All you got to do is pay the $5 shipping and they'll give you your first shipment for free. So use that code ARMCHAIR to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Okay, let's talk about the offense, everybody. So that was the most unenjoyable, unwatchable game, I think, even if you're a fan of the Browns. I mean, you've got to enjoy it, finally seeing the Brown team beat the black and gold, or well, the white and gold for last night team. But it was a horrible football game. The Browns did start out well, driving the ball down the field for a couple of touchdowns. They actually completed a long pass to Odell Beckham Jr., who they have been keeping in football purgatory by not using him whatsoever and therefore ruining America's deserved enjoyment of watching one of the greatest, most talented players we've ever seen actually do things on a football field. But he did catch a long pass before completely disappearing for the rest of the game when Baker Mayfield will throw the ball 10 feet over his head. But they started well, and the Steelers started poorly. And while they settled in on defense, and there's a lot of encouraging stuff that the defense continued, we'll get into that later, we all know what the issue is here. It's the offense. And this season, you know, we're hoping to see improvements. We we did see some improvements last week against the the Rams, where Mason was actually taking some shots downfield. The receivers were making plays with the ball in their hand and then pretty much fumbling it at the end of those plays. But still, you look at the, the, the potential there. They were actually making big plays. And there were things to look forward to. You had James Conner back for a small amount of time in this game. Uh, they took a huge step back. And we know this whole year is going to be tough because – You're playing Mason Rudolph. He is a young quarterback, okay? Uh, Not everybody starts out like Patrick Mahomes started out, okay? He's going to have some growing pains. But also, you know, not being totally prepared to lose Brown. And there's just, that's a lot of firepower to lose before a year starts or right when a year starts with Ben. So we know it's going to be tough for the offense all year long. Okay, so let's get that out of the way. Obviously there's not like any transcendent playmakers. So for you know, I think Kyle Allen has obviously looked a lot better than Mason Rudolph down in Carolina. And I don't think Kyle Allen's talent is much better around him than what the Steelers have because the Steelers have a very good offensive line and they do have some good playmakers, but at least he has Christian McCaffrey who he can just flip the ball to 30 times a game and Christian McCaffrey will do the rest for him. Uh, there is no Le'Veon Bell to do that for Mason Rudolph. So we got to, you know, give him credit for that. So let's start with Mason Rudolph. Let's talk about him. Number one, you, I'm glad he's okay. Number two... You do have to admit losing Juju Smith Schuster and Deontay Johnson and James Conner, your three best offensive threats, it's going to make it hard against any defense, and it would have made it hard for Ben as well. You know, not not to compare the two, but I just use, It would have been hard for you know Lamar Jackson as well, or any good NFL quarterback to lose that many guys. But this was bad, man. It didn't have to be this bad. Losing those weapons or not, there were people open. Mason Rudolph was missing them. Mason Rudolph was throwing interceptions directly to the other team. It was a total nightmare. It wasn't even really a a result of being aggressive and trying to fit throws in a tight windows. It was just bad throws directly to the other team. And all of the issues that Rudolph has as a passer reared their ugly head. I'm going to say the same thing I've been saying about him all year. I don't think that Mason Rudolph... Is a good, you know, has the potential to be a good starting quarterback in the NFL for one main reason. He just doesn't have enough physical talent, and people want to say, "Oh, look at Tom Brady." He, no, Tom Brady is very physically talented. He's six four and has a rocket arm. He's always had a very good arm. It's not Matt Stafford or some, or Aaron Rodgers, but it is a very good arm. Mason Rudolph has an actively weak arm. This is like Chad Pennington, but worse. You know, Chad Pennington had the had timing, and he just had some extra talent that Mason doesn't have. But, you know, to be a real starting NFL quarterback, you have to be able to have at least a base level of arm strength for a main reason here. It's not to throw the ball far It's to be able to throw the ball from different positions. It's to be able to throw the ball into smaller windows. There are people who are open that Mason isn't hitting because he doesn't trust his arm to get the ball there. And then the defense can play you differently as a result of, hey, we know that they can't hit these types of throws so we can leave this open or we can leave this part of the field open or whatever it is. And Mason's biggest problem right now is, obviously, there's slow processing. There are people who are open early and he's not able to see them and work through his reads like that. That's something that you can See improve I expect that to Improve because he does seem Like a very smart very poised Guy but his biggest issue is When he does not have a Perfect pristine pocket where He can step fully into his Throw he is woefully inaccurate and he throws very interceptable balls. He throws lollipops. The, the line seems to collapse in on him and when he just, you know, you kind of have to take a half step or you just have to throw with a different arm angle or something like that, it loses all and any velocity and it's a risk to be intercepted. And whereas a quarterback like Ben or even like a Kirk Cousins, you know, let's take just sort of an average, above average quarterback, they can at least still fit the ball in there while the pocket is collapsing and they don't have the full torso, you know, or full ability to step into throws. So that's his biggest problem. It just limits so much of what you can do, and it increases the amount of things the defense can do. And that's his his big issue. And that's why I think his ceiling is really as like a bridge kind of quarterback. Uh, because I do think he's smart enough and. You know, the deep ball, I don't think he throws a good deep ball yet, but I could see that eventually coming on because that's supposed to be a specialty. But just, you do need a base level of physical talent to be a good starter, so I don't think that's what he has. Now, I I put forward the idea last night on Twitter that I, I just don't understand the crowd who doesn't think duck is a viable option to play quarterback right now because you really can't do much worse than Mason Rudolph's doing. I mean, they scored one touchdown last night. It was basically 80 yards of pass interference, justified pass interference, by the way. You can't run into the guy before the ball gets there. But then last week against the Rams, they scored, what, seven or 10 points, and you just keep going back. It's like, okay, they played well against the... They didn't even really play that well against the Dolphins who are playing like... uh, semi professional cornerbacks at that point. They just, you know, it looks better compared to other games. But this team just cannot score points. And Duck, I just don't I don't think it will be that much worse than what Rudolph's doing because he does have one thing that Rudolph doesn't, which is he can move in and out of the pocket. And maybe that could create a big play here or there because it can't get much worse than what Rudolph's doing. But thinking about it a little bit more, you know, Duck's ceiling He's also very limited physically and arm-wise. So, you know, how far is he going to go? I don't know. I don't think... Let me back up for a sec. Mason will still improve. Think of how horrifically unplayable Landry Jones was at the beginning couple years of his career. And I know some people held that against him for his entire career and just never got the stench of his early struggles off of him. But he did improve to be a competent backup who went in there and won some games for the Steelers when he had to, playing at a backup quarterback level uh, as he got older. So if he improved, if even Josh Dobbs improved, because he was the same story, then Mason should improve as well. And this year, is a, it's a bit of a wash in terms of competing for the Super Bowl but it's not a wash at all in terms of developing your team and trying to get back into it for next year's Super Bowl run, right? So giving Duck the reins, it's not going to take it to the Super Bowl this year. Maybe it would win another game or two or something like that. But is that really what you – want to be doing to develop your team for the future you should try and develop mason as much as you can to be the next backup or bridge guy if if absolutely necessary for after ben retires or something but i think i've seen what i need to see from him as far as starting quarterback potential but i don't think he's by any means maxed out his potential as an nfl quarterback so obviously rudolph was absolutely terrible he didn't have any playmakers johnny holton made a catch After nine incompletions (laughs) And uh, yeah he just didn't have a lot of playmakers around him Washington made some good plays That was nice to see Quick little note on Connor Connor he's the most lovable guy To ever come through the NFL for obvious reasons But we keep saying it man His durability is a real concern And I think what last night showed the Steelers is that In the second round, most likely, which is their first draft pick coming up this year, playmakers really need to be prioritized because I do not think you can rely on James Conner, unfortunately, as a starting running back because he he can't get through a season. I think his performance is totally justified to be a starting running back. He's a good running back, but he cannot make it through a season. And Jalen Samuels is not the answer. Like, I've kind of gone back and forth with him. I really didn't like the pick when they first made it. Saying, like, oh, look at this guy. He can catch as a running back. He's never played running back, but he can catch a little bit. He's not that fast, but he scored a lot of touchdowns at NC State. Hey, you know who else can catch for a running back? Plenty of running backs. Who actually run the ball, who actually break tackles and make cuts and juke people out. So the the Samuels thing has always been a little bit weird, and we'll see what happens with Benny Snell going forward. He obviously has to work on that burst. But the Steelers need more playmakers for when Ben comes back. I pray to God he comes back at, at full strength. But you gotta admit he's he's almost forty. Even if he comes back at 70, 80 percent strength, you can still make a Super Bowl run if this defense keeps going the way that they're going, but he's going to need some playmakers around him to help with that. The offensive line has been good this year. I think they've been better than people have thought. The protection didn't hold up as well against Cleveland as it should have. Obviously, Miles Garrett, the American psycho, was kind of dominating Villanueva all game as he has done. I do think some of that needs to be on Feetner, giving him some help with some chips here and there. Um, But... There was enough time to make. There's plenty of time to make plays at the course of the game, and Rudolph just couldn't process quick enough, or he wasn't athletic enough to make that happen. Now, the run game with the Steelers' offensive line has obviously been a problem all year, but we've even pointed this back uh, pointed back to years with Le'Veon Bell, where they would struggle getting some of the run game going because this is really a pass blocking offensive line, and then they do really well in space with pulling and leading and and. DeCastro and Marquise Pouncey getting onto, the even Villanueva has pulled, and getting onto the edges and doing counters and these stretch type of plays. But they kind of use the pass to set up the run in Pittsburgh. Uh, Once you get these defenses spread out a little bit, that's when they do really well running. They're not this giant hulking line like a Baltimore or something where you just run at people and steamroll them. So I think a lot of the reason why they've looked so bad in run blocking is like we've said, there really is no threat of passing the ball downfield, so the defense is able to sort of tee off against the run, and it just it doesn't put them in a posi- position to succeed. Now, the last thing for the offense is Feitner. Uh, a lot of people calling for his head, a lot of people trying to excuse him. Here, here's my thing. It is possible for the players that he's working with, who I guess like six or seven of them were practice squad guys earlier this year. You know, Edmonds was out there. Tevin Jones made a couple plays. Holton, these guys. So obviously he doesn't have a lot to work with. Mason Rudolph struggling, at quarterback. But it is possible for the players to be bad and the play calling also to be bad. I think Featner maybe at best is like an average NFL offensive coordinator. And when he has Ben Roethlisberger in there, when he had Antonio Brown, they were able to make enough plays to make things work. And you have so many good players on offense that he's just able to write, you know, just sort of control it and not do anything totally dumb. And I sort of think the same thing about Butler right now. He's benefiting off of these phenomenal players, but a lot of people could do what Butler's doing, and there are some other people who could do better. With this talent They could do special things That's what I think About the offense So Feetner If it's second and ten It's a run play They actually finally did one On second and ten Last night Where they didn't run the ball But other than that Dude it's like 75 to 90% It is insane Now the irony is The second and ten Run plays Worked better last night Than they had the whole season But that's because The Browns are the Browns And they find ways To get in their own way All the time That predictability Is disturbing for me watching it on a couch, knowing that other teams are seeing it. Now, just like how the Patriots knew in the first game, just like I knew the Steelers were going to come out with that counter-toss sweep play. You, you just can't be too predictable. I hated his call on fourth down and two when he rolled out there with three tight ends and one wide receiver and did a play action. It was a creative play. Last week, they did a fake handoff and rolled to the right. This, time, this week, they made the play look like that it looked like the fake handoff and rolled to the right and it was supposed to be a throwback to the left. So from that standpoint, I I love him sequencing plays and using uh, film to his advantage, knowing the other team has seen their fourth down play and then using a counter off of that. That's great. But fourth and two is just too long to buy into a real run fake like that. If it's fourth and one, okay. But they know you haven't had any success running all day. You're not really going to run the ball in that fourth and two. They know you're probably going to pass, and you have nothing but slow guys out there with the tight ends. So I would have like to see him at least have another receiver on the field to confuse the defense a little bit there. And I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but the Steelers' third and short and fourth and short offense is absolute crap on a stick. And he is part of that, although really, in all honesty, a lot of this comes from you know Mason Rudolph not being able to hit wide open guys who are right in front of him it's been an issue his processing is not working when teams do all out blitzes it's really getting to him and uh, if the Steelers can't get those together which they cuz they've shown the they they're not able to get first downs <laughs> on first down or second down you know it's all, every possession is going at least 3 downs before the punt uh, it's an absolute disaster. So you can point at all these things, just the lack of the ability to throw downfield, which makes it impossible to sustain drives. You can't just have five yards of play and and march the ball 75 yards down the field all game long. Okay, that makes it difficult. Then the lack of passing also leads to a lack of ability to run because the defense is able to dedicate their resources towards stopping your run, and then a lack of ability to convert in third and short and fourth and short situations. It just spells disaster for this offense, along with just not having a real bona fide playmaker. Juju, obviously, he's great. He looked good last night. Um, But, you know, with all that they don't have right now, you really need a McCaffrey or a Bell or somebody like that to, to help you. And it's just, uh, I think it should get a little bit better. Hopefully these injuries um, don't prevent everybody from playing with Johnson, you know, Connor, Juju, and any pending suspensions for Marquise Pouncey or Mason Rudolph. Hopefully that doesn't prevent people from playing for too long because then it's going to get worse before it could get better. And if those guys are all out versus the Bengals, I think that uh, the Steelers might actually go down to the Bengals. But if they get a couple of those guys back, this Bengals team is incredibly, incredibly terrible. So we'll see what happens. It should improve a little bit with Mason's experience, but I think the ceiling on that offense is a little bit low. So moving to the defense... I think that uh, Cleveland came out with a good game plan to challenge the Steelers vertically. They have the receivers to do it, and the Steelers haven't really had to deal with that in the past few weeks. The Chargers, Phillip Phillip Rivers, you know, for the Steelers' first win, he's not able to get the ball downfield. The Colts, Jacoby Brissett can do it, but then when Hoyer went in, they struggled a little bit more, although they did pretty much tear the Steelers up intermediate range-wise, and Goff and the Rams were unable to do it. I mean, Brandon Cooks being out for them, that's the vertical guy. That was a big uh, detriment to them. But the Steelers had to deal with a team passing vertically down the field for the first time. And at first, it was working pretty well. But the Steelers were eventually able to adjust and pretty much held the Browns to really 14 points and then obviously a couple missed field goals there. If not for Mason Rudolph's four interceptions and giving the Browns short field. So I think they adjusted adjusted nicely to that. Now what they did that was really impressive was how incredibly well they did against the Browns run game. The Browns, did pound the ball with Nick Chubb. They had some success throwing to Cream Hunt. But Nick Chubb had 27 carries for 92 yards. That's 3.4 average. And as a team, Cleveland, three yards a carry. And Bud Dupree was phenomenal in run defense. Devin Bush had some real great moments. T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward, you can't run near them. Just don't do it. Don't try it. So that was very encouraging, and especially since Cleveland has shown the ability to run the ball on people, their, their line is no good pass blocking, but run blocking they are decent, and their running backs are excellent. So that was very impressive and something to be encouraged about going forward. Something to be discouraged about going forward is Mark Barron and the fact that he's still playing. Listen, we don't have to go too far into this. You guys saw the game. The jury is out. The sample size is large enough. Mark Barron wasn't that great before he came to Steelers, but he sure sucks now. He has no situational awareness. He'll have running backs running into his back with the ball. He'll have receivers catching the ball over his head in the end zone when it should be an easy interception for him. He's terrible, and the Steelers just need to go ahead Cut their losses, admit that they made a mistake in paying this guy money, stop trying to prove it right, stop trying to fit the square peg into a round hole, and they need to play Vince Williams much more because Mark Barron is an absolute liability, and he sucks. So there's that. The defense actually played pretty well. I mean, I guess they they didn't play that well because Minka Fitzpatrick didn't score a touchdown, and that's what we're used to now, but... I think that's that. That we, I spent a lot of time at the beginning of the podcast on the 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 incident, if you will. And uh, I don't want to go too long on this podcast today. So that's generally my thoughts on the defense. This game was just an absolute dumpster fire. And next week is really in flux until we find out a little bit more about the injury situations and the suspension situations. Luckily, the Steelers have some extra time seeing as they played on Thursday. So they'll get a full 10 days or whatever it is before the next game. And then uh, once we get closer to that time, we'll be able to sort of prognosticate and predict a little bit more what's going to happen. But there's too many variables. I will say Steelers offense has been bad all year. They were pretty much as bad as we've seen them in this game. And the Steelers defense has gotten very good this year. And I do think that they actually acquitted themselves very nicely um, having to deal with some new things, you know, with some of those vertical threats. But stopping that run game was really impressive. TJ Watt, another sack. He's on pace for potentially an all-time single-season record for Steelers. He's absolutely unbelievable. Cam Hayward, absolutely unbelievable. And, uh, yeah, I think that's all I got pretty much for today. So follow us on Twitter, at Steelers Outpost. Email us, SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. And uh, we'll be back with you soon. Okay, bye-bye.
0: Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
1: Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you
0: soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever.
1: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex
0: Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip.
1: Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.